All right, let's get right back into what we were discussing as our first order of business here with our panel, Dan Moulton, Anthony Fury, and Peter Tabbins about the legalization of marijuana a week out and uh, some of the anticipated potential pitfalls or will it all be smooth sailing now the police have had to address this as well and it was interesting last week when we talked that the vancouver police department has reported that uh they would just put their uh members on the honor system effectively just show up fit for duty and don't ask don't tell but here in toronto the chief announced yesterday a 28-day prohibition dan good idea does that make sense to you if so why why not I think it's a rather draconian measure. I mean, uh, to treat this substance in this way is just to continue to demonize it, right? And I think that's the wrong message for the police to be sending at this juncture. Uh, in particular, the, there isn't a 28 day uh, consumption requirement for alcohol. I think that that's probably the best sort of comparator here in terms of the impact on the police. Uh, police can't show up to work hungover, right? I mean, that, that's a, there's a rule about that. The same way they, they ought not to show up to work high, and the same rule should be held. Um, I, I, I think that the same standard should be applied here, and I think to take this kind of measure just really sends the wrong message and continues to demonize the substance. All right, I just wanted to play you a clip from Julian Fantino, Global News Radio's police expert. He says that in a crisis, it's all hands on deck, and officers need to be functional. Well, another issue is the potential for being called out to duty in an emergency and so forth when you have to scramble to get people to come out and help you with any given high-end scene, the crime scene, or uh, other uh, scenario where the police are engaged uh, with a whole lot of human resources. All right, so it's got to be ready, I ready all the time, or did Dan make a point? I mean, you can have the same idea with drinking, and if you're called to active duty uh, and you're hungover, that doesn't help either. Peter, is it too draconian, the 28-day window, or does it make sense to you? It it seems on the face of it to be awfully, an awfully long time, John. I mean, I don't know what the exact appropriate time is, but 28 days seems an awful long time. I, I, I'd be interested in seeing their research. I don't think there's any question that you want people who are carrying loaded guns, dealing with life and death situations, to be alert and fully aware of what's going on around them. But 28 days on the face of it looks like a long time. And listening to Julian Fantino, people have headaches. They will take medication for headaches. Um, They may have an injury. They may take a Tylenol-3. People will take a variety of medications, including police officers. So saying that no police officer can ever take any medication, can never drink, can never smoke cannabis doesn't make any sense to me. All right, but here's where I wonder if there's maybe, maybe some uh, rationale to all of this, Anthony, insofar as somebody gets, you know, uh, apprehended by a cop or there's an incident where the SIU investigates and if it's shown in their bloodstream, which some experts say, and including the police department here in Toronto, it's in your system for 30 days. I don't know, does that put them in legal peril potentially? I have a friend who's a pilot. He's very serious about his job. And I'll come over for dinner. I'll say, would you like a beer? Would you like a glass of wine? And he pauses and he goes, okay, I'm on call. And I get this and that. And he goes, no. Because it's some window, I don't know what it is, like 72 hours or 48 hours or something like that before you could even potentially fly. And those are the rules. So, and could one fly a plane having having a beer on your person at that very moment? I'm sure one technically could, but one appreciates why there's the highest, most utmost standards uh, for all of that. So, to your point, there's medical liabilities, legal liabilities. 28 days, I, I agree with Dan, it seems like pretty long, but 
uh, THC is in the system longer than alcohol is in the system. So I don't know, maybe it's seven days, maybe it's 14 days, and maybe they're just, they're not certain, so they're hitting the maximal window possible to cover their rears, and maybe a year or two later, they'll uh, they'll look at it again. All right. Let me just uh, pivot here on the matter of liability, uh, because your friend Doug Ford here, Peter, he actually uh, has... <laughs> He table. used the word advisedly, I'm sure. All John. right. Well, it's actually his uh, MPP, Prabhmeet Sarkaria. Uh, you know him in the legislature, I'm sure. Yes, I, okay, I've good. heard the man speak. Yes, uh, he's tabled legislation, which if passed, uh, would grant the exemption for Sikhs to not have to wear helmets when riding a motorcycle. Now, in the interest of, uh, again, accommodation for religious reasons, do you see this as an appropriate law if passed? Yeah, when we looked at the situation in Alberta and British Columbia, I think Manitoba as well, they've had such legislation in place for a while without any substantial impact one way or the other. Uh, so I would say it's reasonable to have it pass. I think it's reasonable to have it come forward. And it's my understanding that Ford has actually made it happen. He's not just waiting for the bill to go through. He's actually changing the regulations. But when I look at the, the other jurisdictions, I don't see a huge problem seems to work. All right. And yet, you know, Kathleen Wynne promised it, and then she recanted in 2014, according to the reports, Dan, what gave? I mean, she said it was a safety issue after uh, reconsidering. Well, I won't speak for the former premier. I would say that I I see this uh, as one of the the, the clearest forms of pandering that a a politician seeking office can can undertake. Uh, This is something that's been applied for to the Human Rights Tribunal, I think on multiple occasions, at least once. Uh, and the Human Rights Tribunal has said very clearly, and the courts have said also very clearly, uh, that there is not a, uh, a right to be able to ride a motorcycle, uh, uh, that this is not an infringement on people's religious rights, uh, that uh, there are certain instances in which requiring uh, a, you know, a certain headgear or requiring a Sikh person not to, to, to wear a turban, like the, certainly the new government in Quebec is undertaking, which I think is quite uh, reprehensible. Uh, but in the, in the case of riding a motorcycle, uh, it's about safety. It's about personal safety. And it's about safety of other uh, uh, other people on the road. So this pandering of which you speak uh, is what trying to uh, suck up to the Sikh community. Is that the point? Well, there seems to be a certain set of activists that are are, are quite fixated on this topic, uh, and so yes, I, I I do see it as as electoral pandering, and I see that think that's what the premier is up to, and I think that's what any politician that promises this is up to. All right, it seems like it's rather insignificant, almost a rounding error. How many Sikh motorcyclists with a turban? Uh, deciding they don't want to wear a helmet, Anthony. Any any idea? Yeah, it's insignificant. I agree with Dan. It's pandering, though. And, and I, I think this issue, if it means that they are then liable for themselves and they're going to have to deal with that with their insurance companies and our, our, our health system, if you're like, you're going to pay for your medical bills, all right, buddy, fine, all power to you. Be totally exempt from it. It is frustrating that uh, th- those of us who do not have a, a religious reason to not wear the helmet can actually be fined for doing it. So it's very frustrating, that double standard there. This issue is a minor one, but it does set people, give people the idea that they can get religious exemptions. Sikhs uh, want to be allowed to take the kirpan, the ceremonial dagger they have into places like the parliament buildings and secure zones. And they say, well, it's only ceremonial reasons. Okay, I get that. You'll never bring it out, use it as a weapon or whatnot, but it's still a little blade. And we have a rule that says no blades in at all. And there are cases of people who have used the kirpan. Uh, unexpectedly for violence. So I, I, I worry that it leads people of, of all religions to think that they could have similar exemptions. All right, so a slippery slope, so no special dispensation, except Peter Tabbins agrees with well, Doug Ford. Well, I, I don't necessarily entirely agree with Anthony's points there. I, I, I do think there are spe- there are circumstances where you balance individual rights uh, against uh, certain kinds of protections. And I think that 
Uh, wearing a motorcycle helmet is one of the ones where, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a, a priority for safety. I think wearing a curepan to enter an airplane or to enter the parliament is a bit different. I think that's, uh, you know, certainly not a, a burdensome, uh, you know, obligation to meet or, or a right to accommodate. Uh, and I see no, no problem with that. All right. Let's come back in a moment. Uh, there are more topics worthy of discussion right to the top of the hour. Then on the other side of the six o'clock news, Ernie Eves, John Turley Ewart and Peggy Nash will be weighing in with the roundtable. We're back in a moment with more of these topics worthy of discussion on The Oakley Show.